Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. a series that we're doing called Encounter. And we've been, we've been talking through since Easter of different accounts uh, from the scriptures uh, about people encountering the risen Jesus uh, throughout, throughout their lives and, and how that works. And I wanted to sort of fill you in on, on why we decided to, to do this series, on, on where it is uh, we're going and, and all of that. Uh, sort of stuff. We we have been um, we've been really praying for uh, especially this month and and then last year as well. We've been praying for uh, people in the Muslim community, um, particularly in the Middle East, that they would begin to to come into faith. And we've been seeing some some awesome fruits. Some of my friends have been over there, and um, it's incredible what the Lord is is doing uh, and throughout the Middle East. And we began to hear stories. Uh, of, of these devout Muslims and they're having these dreams and these visions in the night of Jesus. And he's encountering them and, and they're, they're coming into this unbelievable reality that there seems to be a Jesus who's alive and, and risen and, and he's encountering them. And we're seeing an incredible amount of, of people coming to faith through that. It's just, it's wild. You, ca- you can't deny it. And, and what's happening is uh, Jesus is appearing to them. Uh, he's explaining the gospel to them. And then he's saying, and I'm sending someone to you tomorrow. And then sure enough, over and over and over and over again, they're having these encounters both with Jesus and with his followers. And people are, are coming to faith in droves in the, in the Middle East. It's happening all the time, every day. And that's really exciting. And uh, it's, it's just, it's something that you can't even, like I wouldn't have even began to predict something like that would have happened. And I kept hearing the stories and I kept hearing the stories. And honestly, I started to get jealous. I started to get jealous because if he's doing that there, I want him to do it here. Right, if, he, if he's encountering people there, then I'm believing that he can encounter people here. The interesting thing is that uh, this didn't go on until the church began to, to really pray. The global church began to really pray for the Middle East and, and for the people of the Muslim faith especially. And so as the church committed to pray and committed to pray and committed to pray and then committed to send and committed to go, we see this shift that begins to happen as Jesus reveals himself. And so as I was, I was listening to that, I just became, I just became jealous of, of loved ones that I know that I, I wish Jesus would encounter, of family members that I know that I wish Jesus would encounter, of people in, in my neighborhood and, and in my streets that I'm just praying that he encounters. And so slowly over time, the Lord just continued to, to burden my heart and some of the other hearts here of the leadership to begin to really pray into Jesus, would you do it here? Would you, would you do it here? Would you begin to, to encounter people here? And so we, we started to commit to pray to that. 
And we, we have the, the prayer wall in the back where we're, we're asking everyone to, would you write down loved ones that don't believe, loved ones that need an encounter, friends that need an encounter. And we're, we're putting that on the wall as a prophetic declaration of saying, hey, we're going to hold these people up. And then every week we're calling their names out. And we're, we're asking, Lord, would you show up? Would you encounter? Would you encounter? But there's, it's interesting. And recently, as, I, as I've been pressing into that, and I, as I've been feeling sort of that impetus and that, and that push towards that, the Lord revealed that, you know, there's two parts to those stories. There's two parts to the equations that happens when we, when we hear about the stories of the, of the Muslim conversions in the Middle East. Jesus reveals himself in a divine, incredible encounter. And then he says, and by the way, some of my followers are crazy about me, and they're coming, and they're going to tell you all about me. And so I begin to actually get very convicted, because I've been praying that Jesus begins to show up and encounter people, but I haven't been doing anything about my part, honestly. And I, I haven't been feeling that burden to, to go and to, to be the one to, to share, and so as I've been wrestling with this and just trying to, to figure out what, what to do with those two things, I, I just became just honestly just really convicted, just extremely convicted, because God's heart is for the lost. That's his heart. John 3.16, he so loved the world that he sent his only son, that anyone that believes could have life eternal. Like he loves lost people. And if I'm honest, I don't. I mean, I think about them sometimes, and, and I, you know, I, every now and then it, it seems like the good thing to do, and, and all of that, but my heart doesn't burn for that. And what I realize is that the same thing I realize all the time, if my heart and God's heart are different, then one of those hearts has to change, Right? And I don't think I can change his heart on that. And so I began to pray, oh my gosh. Would, would you give me a heart like yours? A heart that's crazy about lost people. Jesus gives a lot of examples about what it's like when, when God is looking for, for a lost person. You know, you have the story of the prodigal son and, and how that plays out. You have the story of, of the lady who lost a coin and she turns everything over in her house to find the coin. The lost sheep, where the shepherd leaves the 99 and, and goes and, and, and gives, gets the one that's lost, that hasn't been my heart. It just hasn't been. And that's wrong. It's just wrong. And so over the past couple of weeks, the Lord has just really been just changing me because that's he loves it like he loves repentance he loves to change our hearts and so our prayer has changed a bit because honestly my prayers and 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 some of our prayers have been recently i think mine especially i can i'll just speak for myself they've been a little bit me focused they've little been a little bit us focused honestly like like just crying out, Lord, would your presence come? Would it come? And I, he loves those prayers. He loves to show up and do crazy things. And we've had a lot of fun with that. But 
at the core of who I am, at the core of what we do, it hasn't been about so that we could see more and more people enter into salvation, see more and more people experience freedom. And so I just confess, like, that's wrong. And so as I've been praying into that, and, and I've, been, I've been leaning into that, the, the question has been, Lord, would you just give me a heart like yours? Would you give me a heart that's burdened for the lost? That, that, that can't, can't really sleep at night because I know that there's people out there everywhere who don't know Jesus. And what bothers me is that it doesn't bother me. It just, it doesn't bother me. And it's not the way that God works. It, it bugs God. So much so that he'll show up in visions to, to, to radical Muslims to, to say, I'm after you. So much so that he came to die for us, right? I mean, it, but it doesn't, it doesn't bug me. And so over and over the prayer has been, Lord, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? And what breaks his heart are lost people. Living without a knowledge of the hope that we have, dying without a knowledge of the hope that we have. And so I don't believe that he's going to begin to start showing up until we start showing up, honestly. And so over the last few weeks, the Lord has been impressing upon me different things. And, and, and so we're going to talk a little bit about really a subject that is just nobody likes to hear in church, and it's, it's about evangelism. And that's not a fun word. It's about the idea of, of sharing your faith with other people. And here's the deal. I could read statistics about the amount of times the average Christian shares their faith, and we would all gasp because it's like next to zero and all of that sort of stuff, but we all know that. We're the ones in the statistics. And so I could, I could guilt you into doing it for a day or something like that. But, but, the, but the deal is, is that it's, it's God's heart. And if we, if we come here every week, and if we do our thing every week, and we have great music, and we have uh, average preaching, and we have a couple of bathrooms that work, if, if that's all we do, what are we doing, right? This is the thing that we continue to, to ask the Lord. And if people aren't regularly encountering the risen Savior and, and having a life-changing moment, then we, we have to begin to ask ourselves, like, what are we doing? Does it matter? Which are scary things to ask when you're a professional Christian? But he's been leading me to this idea of saying, why don't you just give me your heart? Can, can you just give me your heart? I can't muster this up. I can't make myself really change at all. But if I begin to repent and recognize that I'm not doing what you're doing and I'm only supposed to do what the Father's doing, and, and then he begins to change. And so honestly, I've started to see a bit of a change in me. 
And the Lord has been really just talking about the importance of this. And so I want to show you a story here because, believe it or not, as Christians, we're supposed to be Christ-like. And I want to show you how Christ is very, very concerned with lost people. And so I don't have slides because I want you to see this. I want want you to see it in the scriptures. I I want you to mark it. Uh, there's, there's Bibles in front of you. There's apps. Uh, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and someone will bring you a Bible. And you can keep that and take that home. But I, I just want you to, to see it for yourself because we're, we're going to go to a couple places. So if you could go to Luke 24 and then put your finger there and then, and then go to John 4. We'll, we'll get to John. We're going to start in Luke. We'll, we'll get to John. So there's this it's this incredible story. It's amazing. And we're going to read through it. Uh, it's been historically called uh, Jesus on the Road to Emmaus. And so we're, we're going to uh, we're going to read that. Luke 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is it that you have with one another as you walk and are so sad? So we'll skip down to 25 because they're explaining to him all of the things that just happened, the crucifixion and all of that. Verse 25, he says, Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening. And the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you make that come alive in us. Jesus, this is your church. Would you take control? Would you have your way? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So this has always been a really interesting story to me for many reasons. One, it's sort of the sci-fi nature of it, that here's Jesus, and they don't understand it's Jesus, and, and then he opens their eyes. Like, that's pretty interesting to me. Like, I try to think through, what does that look like? Did he look like someone else? And then all of a sudden, poof! You know, I just, I've just always been fascinated with the story. It's just interesting. It's weird. It's a weird story. But I love it because it shows Jesus evangelizing. It, it shows him, and it gives us a model of how we're to, to think and act and, and what life is supposed to be like. See, the deal is, is that we have the words of life. Right? Jesus said that in him there is life and life abundant. He, he, he has life. And, and if he dwells with us, then we carry life with us. And, and then we know that because we're created in his image and, and in his likeness, that when we begin to speak those words of life, 
under the unction and, and the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit, then things begin to happen and life begins to spring up. Like, we, we can do that, right? And we also know that another scripture says the wages of sin is death. We're all born in sin. And we're all entangled in sin. And so what that means is that we carry life and those that don't know Jesus are dead. They're dead. Which means currently we are living in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> right? Because we have dead people all around us. They're everywhere. And we have the power, what does James say? The power of life and death is in the tongue. And so we come onto the scene full of death and darkness, carrying the power of life. That's incredible. And it's incredibly convicting to think about how little I have placed in that context. And here we have Jesus, who is life, and he's coming to these two people who, who really, they've lost all hope. They hoped that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was going to come and that he was going to establish a new Jerusalem, literally, on, on earth and begin to, to move things back, just like in David, and, and, and restore the temple and restore all of these sort of things and, and the rights and all. And he didn't. He died. All of their hope is gone. And so they're walking because they've, they've probably spent a lot of money. They've probably spent a lot of time following Jesus around the city. They were probably, scholars think that they were probably some of the ones that lined the streets and, and held up the palm fronds. Some scholars even believe uh, that Cleopas, who, who's named here, was actually Jesus' uncle. And was, and was just waiting for this Messiah to come and restore a new Jerusalem. It didn't work out. And so these two dead men are hopeless and they're walking. But they've been, they've been seeking the Messiah. And so what we're talking about in the context of evangelism, right? We're talking about this idea that, that we're supposed to go and, and, and tell people, like, the gospel, right? Does everyone, does everyone feel like, if you're a Christian... That's generally what you're supposed to do in some form or fashion, tell the gospel, right? And so we have these, these two guys who are, are looking for the Messiah. So I, wa I want to let you in on a couple of secrets that you learn when you become a professional Christian. They don't tell this to everyone. It's a trade secret, but I'll let you in on it. I'm kidding. Um, here's the deal. People everywhere are looking for God. Everywhere. All, all around. But here's the secret. They don't usually look like they're looking. They don't usually seem to be what we would say are people that are looking for God. And so if I'm talking to you about evangelism, and I'm talking to you, and you, like a lot of times we go to street ministry when we think about evangelism in the Western church, and we think about that, then we think about our friends that are like super impoverished, that are begging on the streets, we're thinking, that person's looking 
for God, right? Because we think they look like it with our eyes. Everything in the kingdom is upside down. And so the people that are really looking for God are the people that don't look like it at all. The people that, that don't seem to be desperate and destitute. Because what they're doing is they're trying to find God in a lot of different forms and fashions. They're trying to find purpose in a lot of different forms and fashions. They're trying to find meaning in a lot of different forms and fashions. Sometimes the people in the streets, they're just hungry. Right? But there's another hunger that exists that that you can't tell from the outside. And so as we're thinking about today and we're processing what the Lord is saying, then we need to understand that we need to put on our, our spiritual eyes and begin to see people as as we're supposed to see them. Here are these two men, and they're, and they're, they're educated, and, and they're, you know, they're Jews, and, and they're walking along, and on the, on the surface, it seems like they know where they're going. And Jesus comes, and he encounters them. And then he begins to share the gospel with them, which would be incredible to have Jesus explain the gospel to me because it's about him. I just think that would be an unbelievable conversation. And he begins to, to explain the gospel to them, to open up the scriptures, to begin to show them why Jesus was the Messiah and what that means now. And it says something interesting. It says that their hearts were burning at the end, that their hearts were just burning while he was doing that. Which is interesting because the word Emmaus, the town, means a burning place. And so it's, it's interesting, if you, if you can tell the significance of this, is that Jesus is leading them towards a burning place as they're being reignited with hope. And as the hope of maybe they didn't miss it begins to be ignited again. He says, we're called to go and we're called to, to preach the gospel. We're called to actually share our faith with people what happens a lot of times is that we, we sort of begin to psych ourselves out because we think that we, we need to have all of the things down, all the theologies, all the doctrines, and all of that. But what we see here in this story is that there is a power that's held in the gospel that begins to draw and ignite people to Jesus just by the gospel itself. Just by the testimony of of who Jesus was and is, it's there. And so Jesus does this. And he begins to explain the gospel to them. They begin to feel this hope begin to rise. And and the, the passions and the fires begin to be reignited within them. And so then there's this interesting thing where where they begin to turn off the road because the sun is going down and it's like it's starting to get dark and, and they didn't have street lights, right? And it's, it's pretty dark. And so they're turning in and, and, and Jesus, it says, looks as though he's intending. It says he's intending to keep going. And they stop him and they say, Would you please come with us. They compel him in to come and eat with them. And then he reveals himself and, and all of that. It's interesting, though, because I don't think Jesus is playing a psychological game with them. I don't think he's engaging in mind tricks. I think he was going to keep going. I think he was going to keep walking past. There's another account that this begins to bring to mind in Mark where, 
where the disciples are on the boat and Jesus is walking on the water and it says that he was intending to keep walking, but what happened is, is that they began to cry out for him. And just like here, the people began to cry out for him, say, don't, don't pass me by, don't, don't come, don't leave, come with me. And I believe that there's a, there's, there's a, like, there's a responsibility for us to recognize where Jesus is and then make sure that he doesn't pass us by in that moment. To make sure that he doesn't leave us and we're going back to where we were originally intended to go. There's a change in our schedules, in our preferences, in our priorities that has to take place. Otherwise, Jesus will continue to move on. Continue to, to keep going towards the lost. I believe we're in this moment. Like I believe this is a time in history where it, it's our chance to begin to cry out for Jesus to not pass us by. To, to come and, and to, to fellowship and, and to dwell with us and to begin to, to recognize our need for, we, we can't just go back to life as usual. It's, it's interesting. Before Jesus came with them and revealed to them who he was, they were going to turn in for the night. And after, because it was too late, you can't, you can't keep walking on these roads anymore. After he revealed himself, the disciples ran. They left and they ran back to the city. They did the whole journey again. And, and they met up with the other disciples. And they began to tell of the incredible things that just happened. There's a change that has to take place because we have to reorient our lives to Jesus as he's walking and passing through. We, we can't be passive about this thing is, is another way to say it. The kingdom is sometimes it comes in violence and violent men take it and they grab it and you take a hold of a moment and you begin to see where Jesus is and you begin to interact with him. That's the way it works. But what happens is, is that we want to be passive. I, I want to be passive. I don't want to be too abrasive. I don't want to be too weird. And oftentimes, I believe Jesus is passing in front of me with an opportunity, and because I don't grab it, because I don't cry out, because crying out isn't my heart posture, that I'm missing opportunities that he has for me. We, we can't do that. We have to be a people that are, are, are wanting to go where he goes no matter what. That is ready to, to inconvenience ourselves no matter what. Because the way of a Christian is inconvenient. And it's awkward. It's part of the reason why Jesus says to count the cost before you really decide to follow him. Because when you follow him, you actually have to follow him. You just don't say a prayer and, and tuck them in your pocket and go about your life. You have to change. And isn't it interesting that all of these things are happening around us in, in, in culture and, and all of that, and, and the idea of having to change is so foreign, having to, to reorient and reposition. Sin is a taboo. Hell is a taboo. Holiness is a taboo. We can't talk about those things. 
but it's inherent in, in the gospel that, that you have to change. You, you have to follow him. And so as we're thinking about evangelism, honestly, what I think about and where I go is typically just trying not to be a jerk. I've lowered my standard of evangelism to, why don't I just be nice to people? Right? Or maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just turn the Christian music up a little bit in my desk, you know what I mean? That'll get them. That'll get them. And we've, we've sort of dumbed the bar of evangelism and what we're supposed to do in our call. Or maybe we're waiting on, I just, you know, I would love to do this, but Jesus just has to show me. Who, who did, you know, tell me when and where. And the thing is that he already did. He said to go. It's in Matthew 28. Just go. We don't need a word. We don't need a, a fresh prophetic word. Like, it's here. It's in the scriptures. Just go. And the deal is, is that when we go, he promises to be with us. That's the other part of that in Matthew 28. When we go, he promises to be with us. And as we go and we begin to share, we begin to see the kingdom of God break in. And then we begin to see people changed. And in that place, our faith is connected to the very heart of God. A friend of mine said a couple days ago, if, if, you're, if you're wanting to feel more of God, feel his presence, feel closer to him, best thing you can do is share your faith because he's there. And, he, and he's, I mean, he's there. And so we're praying for, for hearts and eyes to be open to the fact that there are people all over desperately crying out for God. And if they are dead and if we withhold life, then we're complicit in their death. Now the beautiful thing is, is that it really isn't our job to save them. It's just not. Which means a couple of things. You can fact check me. It's John 6, 44. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father unless he draws him. He saves them. The Holy Spirit convicts them. So we don't even have to tell them how terrible they are, which is good news. But what we do have to do is we do have to share. He saves. He convicts. He changes. But for some reason, he decided to make it a co-mission. He decided to use us to be the vehicle and the avenue by which People are saved. Just think about that word saved. Isn't there something inside of you that thinks that sounds a bit archaic? Sounds a bit religious? It's just me. Even that word saved has been sort of perverted. Because then you think saved from what? We're all great. And we forget that we're not. That the wages of sin are death. And so they need to be saved. Saved from their sin. Saved from their death. Saved for eternity. They need to be saved. We need to be about the business of soul winning. 
Do you remember soul winning? That used to be a thing. But that's what we're called to. And it sounds old-fashioned. But that's okay. He's calling us into an opportunity to co-labor with him. And, and that involves a lot of things, but at the heart of it, what it involves is beginning to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus, that he came to liberate captives, that he came to set free those that are enslaved to sin, that he came to save those that are lost. And if you notice, everything, everything is working against that pitch in our minds, culturally. There's, it's not a new debate, but there's now a resurgence of the debate on the doctrine of hell. Maybe there's not a hell, maybe there is a hell, maybe whatever, whatever, whatever. And what that does is it begins to implant doubt in, well, why do I even need to share anything if it's all going to be all right in the end, right? Which, honestly, it's just an excuse that we use, because even if you follow the thread of that logic, and, and even if that's true, which... It's not. But even if it's true, what you're seeing is, so then what you're saying is, well, I'm not going to inconvenience myself now because in eternity it'll be okay. Because you're still liber liberating captives. You're still bringing life to dead people now. There's still people walking around that are hopeless, that, that, have, that have no faith, no hope, none of that. They don't know what to trust. And so, so really the logic of that doesn't work anyway, but we don't really, we're not logical people, we're emotional people. That's why cigarettes still exist. Logically, we know that cigarettes will kill us, but we just love them. We're emotional. That's why we overeat. Right? So we're not logical people, but logic says, well, that doesn't even work. But what it does is it puts a seed of doubt. And, and it takes away some of the urgency. Right? Because, I mean, if you really believe that, like if you really believe that people could die at any moment and go to hell, wouldn't you like, I mean, that would just make you crazy and you would change your life and you would devote your life to just sharing the gospel of Jesus wherever you went. You would sort of be kind of a crazy person that was just, I don't know, on fire for this idea that everyone needs Jesus all the time now, right now, right now, right now. And so we've taken away the urgency because it'll all work out in the end. But that's not in the book. It's not in the scriptures. We're supposed to go and compel to the highways and the byways is what it says. We're supposed to, to, to get inconvenience, to go and to flip over everything. Now luckily, that just means sharing. It doesn't mean convincing. So there's a lot of people that devote a lot of time to great ideas and arguments that, that can sort of convince people to, to believe. There's this incredible story in Acts. Paul is at Mars Hill. It's in Athens. Do you know what they call Nashville? Athens of the South. It's just a really interesting correlation. So Paul's at Mars Hill. He's in Athens. And what he does is a little bit different than what he's done up until this point. Athens is sort of this intellectual mecca. And everyone there is really smart. And they're philosophers. And, and there's wisdom and all of that sort of stuff. And so Paul gives this really eloquent speech about the unknown God. Do you guys know about this? It's in, I think it's in 17. And he's just really eloquently expounding about everything. And it says an interesting thing at the end. 
It says, and a few believed. The very next place he goes is Corinth. And in Corinth, he tells, he tells the church at Corinth, he says, you know, here's what I decided. I decided I'm just going to preach the gospel and the power of God. And guess what happened in Corinth? Almost everyone believed. Because it's not our job to convince people. It's not our job to talk people into it. It's the power of God and the power of the gospel that converts people, that grabs their hearts, that begins to set them on fire, that changes the world. That's how the world gets turned upside down, is the power of the gospel. And we carry this power, and if you're like me, you don't use it. And I believe the Lord is saying that it's time to repent. Like, it's time to stop. Because I want to show you something here. Your fingers is probably numb by now. If you're still in John 4. So John 4, uh, we're going to pick up at 34. But John 4, we have the story of Jesus. And he's at the woman at the well. Remember that? And, um, you know, he's sitting at the well. And, and then he begins to, to prophesy her sin. All of that, that's fun and awkward. And she, she actually believes. Can you believe that? Talking about her sin caused her to believe. It's a new one for us. But because she realized her sin and the depravity that she was in, she recognized her need for his Savior, and then she, she grabbed a hold of his words that were internal life, and then she became, she, she became one of the first greatest evangelists of that time. And literally almost an entire village was saved from a woman, a Samaritan, who had been a believer for 15 seconds. All of those things were taboo. Why? Because it's the power of the gospel. It's not the person proclaiming the gospel. It's the gospel that's being proclaimed. It has nothing to do with us. Isn't that good news? It's, I know a lot of you. It's good news. If it had something to do with us, we're in trouble. So she goes back, all of that sort of stuff. The disciples come, and they don't, they're dense at this point. They don't understand. And here's Jesus, and he's talking to this woman. And this woman has a bit of a reputation, by the way. And so they're like, hey, Jesus, what's, uh, what's going on, man? And uh, literally in the text, like, they're questioning, like, why were you alone with this lady by the well? Like, interesting, Jesus. Jesus is somewhere else. And he, and he tells them this. I mean, so he picks this up in verse 34. It says, Jesus said to them, because they were talking about, hey, we brought some food and all that. And so he says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What is the will of him who sent him? To save an adulterous woman at a well. That was what the will of the father was. And to finish his work which is interesting, to finish his work. How did he finish the work? He brought the message, he exposed the gospel, and then he reaped, okay? The Lord had been putting everything else into place already, and now here she was at a well, and it was ripe. So he finished the job. Then he says this in verse 35, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? 
Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. All right, so here's the deal. He's using agricultural metaphors. Sowing means like planting, planting seeds. Reaping means harvesting the fruit of those seeds, whatever, wheat, cotton, whatever it is. So he's saying there's a time for sowing, there's a time for reaping. So we're going to get granular here. Sowing is that time when you weren't a jerk. Sowing is that time when you said, you know what, I'll pray for you. And maybe you actually did it. Sowing is that time that, that maybe you encountered someone and they're in a crutch and, and we just got done with our school of ministry and so you pray for their leg and actually it gets healed. Sowing is uh, this right now, preaching, preaching the scriptures. Uh, there's a lot of ways to sow, but reaping is finishing the job. It's, it's finishing the job. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, there's a time for sowing, time for reaping. There's a time for sowing. You know when that is? All the time. All the time. There's a time for sowing. But there's also a time for reaping. And reaping is literally finishing the job and seeing a conversion. Seeing someone who was lost, now found. That moment. Does anybody remember the center prayer? That, that part where you actually begin to see someone come into, step into the kingdom of God. And here's what is so incredible about this. So Jesus, let's do the math. Jesus is God. And when God creates something, when he sets something in place, how does he do it? He speaks it. So the same God who declared the sun will shine and it's still shining today, declared it's time to reap. Which means currently, it's time to reap. You don't have to do any more sowing. All you have to do is reap. You can sow, but reap. And personally, like if, if I think about it as, as a percentage, most of my efforts are sowing. And I'm really crossing my fingers that another man's reaping. But we're told to reap. I mean, that's it. And so I'll ask the question, I won't have you answer it. When is the last time you reaped? When is the last time you led someone to the faith? Has it been longer than a day? And then if it's true, we have to ask ourselves, so what are we really believing? Right? What am I really believing? Because there is something in the gospel that's supposed to compel us to share the gospel and to reap. And so I'm telling you all of this to say, it's harvest time. Like it's here. 
And he doesn't ask us to pray for anyone else to help sow into a harvest. He asks us to pray for workers to reap the harvest because it's plentiful. But there's just very few people that are actually going about reaping. Remember that scripture? Harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, right? And we're sitting here and we're praying for a move of God. I am praying for a move of God, something like we've never seen before. And all the while he's saying, hey, I am moving. Go reap. You want to see me move? Go reap. And this move of God that's coming, and there is a move of God coming, and it's going to be bigger than anything that has ever been seen. It's going to be bigger than Jesus' people movement. It's going to be bigger than Brownsville. It's going to be bigger than Toronto. It's going to be bigger than all of that sort of stuff. It's going to be giant. But it's going to start and end in the harvest. Like That's where it's going to be. And so he's calling us to reap. And he's saying it's now time to reap. So now, I'm going to get practical because this doesn't work if we don't go reap, okay? It doesn't work. So here's how we reap, okay? I want you to think about it like this. Everywhere you go, it's like a big giant apple tree. And it's full of apples. And apples, you know, they grow on the tree until they get too heavy and then a wind will come or someone will pick them and they fall, right? When they're ripe. All right. So everyone is, is like an apple on that tree. And when we share the gospel, really simply share the gospel, what happens is he shakes the tree. And when he shakes the tree, they fall. And we catch them. That's how it works. Which means there's no pressure. There's no pressure. Because you're going to go up to someone and you're going to say, hey, can I, can I talk to you for a minute? It's going to be really weird. And they're going to say, no. Get away from me. You weirdo. They probably won't say all that, but that's absolutely what we're thinking is going to happen. And then, but they may say no. And so then what you do at that point is you go. Because they're not ripe yet. Right? He, he draws them. That'll be fine. Someone else is going to get them. Maybe that's a sewing. And then you go to the next one. Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure, yeah. I'd like to like, talk to you about Jesus. Is that okay? No. Okay. I don't know how many you're going to have to go to. But the deal is, is that when they're done, you can be done. You don't have to convince them. Doesn't that take pressure off? Because it's him who saves, it's him who draws, it's the spirit who convicts. Now here's an even better thing. Do you know what it says in the scriptures? It says that when you need it, he will give you the words to say. Which means you don't even have to know what you're doing. He'll just give you the words to say. Because he really loves lost people. And, and you can just share and start talking and you may not know where you're going to wind up when you start talking. And you'll find yourself saying something and be like, I didn't even know that scripture. I didn't even know there was a Habakkuk in the Bible. Right? All of a sudden, things begin to come out of you and, and, and all of that. It's the Holy Spirit.
doing the work for you. You're just being obedient. And this is the model that Jesus set for us here at the well. Because what happens then is that if you begin to steward that one, you're going to get one person, right? And so if we think about that apple and if we hold the apple and if we say, what do you see? Like if you're looking at the apple, some would say an apple. Do what? An apple. That's an apple. You see an apple. But if you have eyes to see and you know how to steward it, you can actually have an orchard of apples out of that one apple because of the seeds that are in it. And so what happens is that if, if you just get one and you begin to steward it and, and you begin to continue to press into that, then what you'll begin to see is an orchard, a harvest. It's just how it works. And, and I, I haven't been the best at that. But things are changing. And so the reason we're talking about this is that last week we had someone come and, and they got saved. Isn't that great? We met them on the street, shared the gospel. They weren't quite ready. They came back on Sunday. And then they gave their life to the Lord. And then they've been followed up with, and cared for, stewarded. So what that means then is that now that is our seed. It's not the first salvation, but it was the most recent in this past couple weeks. And so we're, we're, we're calling that, that's the seed. And now our job is to begin to steward it. And the way that we steward it is that we continue to go. We continue to reap. Does this make sense? Hold hands, contact the living, Right? We're supposed to share. And it's just your story. Can I tell you what Jesus has done for me? And if you don't know what he's done for you, maybe we can share it with you. But it's, it's the power of your testimony that begins to unlock and unleash something. You don't have to know anything else but, but how Jesus affected you. And then you say, Hey, would you like to feel Jesus right now? If you could, if he was here. And here's another trick. He will reveal himself in that moment. Because you're out of control at that point. Don't control the evangelism. Allow the Holy Spirit. And they'll begin to feel a peace or warmth or presence. And it's already done after that. And then you lead them into a prayer of repentance for sins. And following and a turning and a bowing of the knee. You know, one day we're all going to bow our knee. But it's better if we do it on this side. And so it's this moment of saying, I give you my entire life. I'm, I'm walking you through how to present the gospel right now. I give you everything. And then we follow up. And we ask them, hey, can I, can I grab your number? Can we get together? And we're going to reorient some things around here in order to, to make sure that we're ready for, for him to bring what he has. Because the Lord has actually 
pivoted us a bit in, in how this is going to work. He told me on Saturday, it's really interesting. He said that the dams of the damned are getting ready to break. And we're getting ready to see a flood of souls that are coming in. And this morning, that was yesterday, this morning, first thing I, I opened my phone and there was a, a news article about the dam by my house being broken. And so I believe that's confirmation that the Lord is actually going to do that. And so there's a couple of things that we're going to do here in order to get ready. We're, we're going to begin like a new believers type of a class so that we can steward. We're going to build and install a permanent baptistry. We don't have one, but we're, we're going to put one in because we're just believing that it's just we're going to need it a lot more, right? Because that's the point. It doesn't matter what we do. If people aren't coming to Christ, who cares? I don't care. That's what he's moving us into. And so here's, here's the deal. Here's what I'm going to just put out there. And here's what I'd ask you to do. We're going to have a time of reflection really quick. And in our reflection, if you're a Christian, here's what we say. Scriptures say that the steps of a righteous person are ordered by God. If you've trusted in Jesus for your faith, guess what? Whether you feel like it or not, you're righteous. Which means you were supposed to be here today for some reason. And so we're going to ask the Holy Spirit, would you, why are we here? Maybe it's because he wants you to share your faith. It is. Maybe it's some other reason. But he definitely wants you to share your faith. And so what I'd like for us to do is sort of just sign up for that. A couple weeks ago, we talked about signing up for sewing. Signing up to, to recognize that he's at work in our office, he's at work in our neighbor, he's at, all of that, and just to, to sew. But so this week is a little bit different. We're, we're actually signing up to finish the job, to read. Because it's his heart. And when you do, when you experience that, it is like the most fun, incredible, holy thing you can ever imagine. It's just so great. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you all, here's my commitment. I'm going for five a week. I'm going for five converts a week outside of these walls. And I'm asking you to hold me to that. And then maybe, because I'm not going to ask you to do something I'm not going to do, maybe you can commit to one. One a week. And we're going to begin to orient ourselves around that. And when you do that, I told you a great story. Somebody getting saved. It's awesome. Met him on the street. It was just perfect. It was like you'd see in a movie. Yesterday, I wanted to do it again so I could have a great story. And so I went to Target, and I chickened out. I had 30 minutes. And I just chickened out because here's the deal. For some reason, it's terrifying. It is terrifying when, when you actually commit to go do this, okay? Joyce Meyer says something really great because your, your mouth will dry and your palms will sweat. And she says, just lick your palms and get on with it. <laughs> because it's scary. But if you were here in the fall, do you remember us talking about scarecrows? Scarecrows are things 
that are lifeless, that they can't bring anything. And if a crow was smart, they would only go to where the scarecrows are because scarecrows signify fruit. And so we need to learn to look at those things that are causing us fear, a natural fear, and see them as beacons, actually, of there's gold in the field, right? So this is a scarecrow. You will feel really afraid. But I promise you, if you can get past that, it may take you a couple of times, a couple of laps. I can't tell you how many times I've driven off and then turned around, drove back in, and it's more awkward the second time because they just saw you get out of the car and all that. It's just, do it the first time. But he's asking us to begin to step out and to begin to see the harvest come to fruition. And so that's, that's sort of the prayer. So if you could stand, we're going to reflect. When we're done, we'll have a time for, for ministry. So if you need, we'll, we'll dismiss, and then we'll, we'll keep the altars open for a little while if you need ministry. But the point here today is, is that we're asking the Holy Spirit, like, are you asking me to share my faith with someone? Like, are you really calling me to do that? Like, ask him that. And he will say, yes, because yes. he's already said it. So I'm sure of that. And then it's just signing up. It's just being obedient. He doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants your obedience. Sometimes it's a lot easier to sacrifice. But he's wanting your obedience. And he's told you to go. He's told me to go. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to just come and do what you do. Convict us. Where, where are we not being obedient? Where are we not taking your word seriously? Where are we currently living in sin? Where are we willfully sinning where we know we should stop? Now, Lord, for those things, we're sorry. We're sorry. Would you forgive us of our sins? Would you help us to change the way that we think about things and begin to, to run after you and what you're doing, to cry out for you? And so, Lord, right now, we just, we, we recommit, we commission ourselves. Could we be an answer to the prayers that have been prayed for 2,000 years? Can we be one of the workers that you're sending? And Lord, would you reveal yourself to those in our city? Would you begin to reveal yourself just like you're doing all over the world to our family members? Would you begin to call them into the kingdom? As you told us to pray on Tuesday, we just ask that you release the hounds of heaven to track them down. And then Lord, could we be the ones that go? Would you just hammer this in our minds, make it where we can't get away from it, Lord, because we'll distract ourselves. But would you keep us on a short leash with this? May we be a church of soul winners, people of soul winners, a movement of soul winners. 
And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to participate in your kingdom and in your mission. And we bless you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer and, and you meant it, then here's what we're going to do. This week, be on the lookout. Begin to step out. Begin to take a risk. Begin to, to share your testimony, your faith. And I promise you, once you begin to do that, you will see the Lord like you've never seen him before. You will experience the power like you've never experienced before. And then what we're going to start doing is we're going to start sharing those testimonies because what we need, because it's so frightening, is we need, we need to hear other people's failures and other people's successes. So whether or not you strike out this week or you see incredible fruit, shoot me an email, grant at nashvillevineyard.org. If you didn't get it, come get it. Shoot me an email, and, and we'll continue to steward these stories. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yes, ma'am. Can I share something? I would love for you to share something. <laughs> okay. I was sitting back there, and I did not want to come up here, but Holy Spirit kept saying, go up. You need to share this. Um, so when I was dating my husband, I just have a little story I want to share. When I was dating my husband, um, I met his brother and then their family for the first time, and they have triplets, and they, at the time they were five years old. And I, we'd been hanging out at his house, and it had probably been like maybe 20 or 30 minutes. And one of the little five-year-olds, she came up to me, and she looked at me, and she said, Julie, do you know Jesus? And kind of caught me off guard, and I said, yeah, I know Jesus. And she smiled so big, and she said, oh, good. And um, their dad, Ethan's brother, he said, it doesn't matter where we go, they stop everybody. At grocery store, anywhere, these five-year-old girls stop anyone, and they just, look, they just ask them, do you know Jesus? Because they're so worried um, that there's people out there who don't know Jesus. And, I mean, talk about conviction. Like, these five-year-olds, they're worried, like you said. Like, they, ha they are concerned for the lost, and... Um, I just wanted to share that because I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. <laughs> and these five-year-olds have it figured out. You know, it's that simple. Just, do you know Jesus? They're worried about that. And um, so I just felt like God was saying that, reminding me of that, that it's not that hard. If a five-year-old can do it, we can do it. You know? That's right. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. That's right. If you can do that with people that aren't potty trained, just imagine what he could do with us who are. So, so that's the call. We're, we're going to, I'm going to pray. We're going to dismiss. We're going to keep uh, the altars open. If you don't know Jesus, man, perfect day. Perfect day. Come see me. And we'll, we won't let you leave here without letting you meet him. If, if you get a chance, you can fill out a card on the back of loved ones that don't know Jesus, and we're going to continue to pray. And then we're going to continue to be the answers of those prayers, okay? So Jesus, we thank you. We bless your name. Lord, we ask that you give us courage and faith like a child to simply be used by you. We bless your name. Would you go with us? Would you send us to the harvest? Would you highlight those that you're wanting to reap? We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.
For all upcoming events or more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.